0: You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. We are in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning as we continue through this series on 2 Timothy asking, What are our foundations in the midst of hard times? Where do we turn? What is it that is unshaking? Uh, And so, uh, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Paul, the apostle, says to Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to God together in prayer. Uh, Dear Lord, uh, we want to be strengthened by your grace. We want to be true to what we've heard from your scriptures. We want to entrust that uh, to each of ourselves, to our hearts, as we share that with other people. Help us, Lord, um, to share each other's loads, to share in the suffering that you've called us to. Lord, help us to think over what you've said, and to process it, and to study it, and to spend time in, in your word. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Well, this little book of Second Timothy, I really like it. I um, can't imagine why it would be relevant, but it's all about enduring in hard times, um, about speaking to the church when they're going through uh, some stuff. If you remember the passage last week, Paul is a prisoner in Rome, and all who are in Asia... All of his church plants, all the people he thought were his disciples, have abandoned him. And now he's writing to Timothy, and later in the letter he's going to ask Timothy to come to him in Rome to visit him. And he says, Timothy, there's, I've got some hard news for you, buddy. You're going to have to embrace this suffering, too. Uh, you're going to have to share in this same hard ordeal that I'm going through. Uh, this this I, passage today reminds me that it's, it's not an exception uh, to share in suffering it's actually the rule that that's sort of kind of what we can expect sadly as uh, Christians sometimes and that, that's actually not something to be surprised at even if it takes us some time to realize that um, when we think about verses maybe we'll return in trial uh, I really you know Jeremiah 29 11 maybe that's a classic one For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, for welfare and for evil, not for evil, (laughs) to give you a future and hope. (laughs) Yikes. Well, the rest of the book of Jeremiah actually sounds a little more like that. The rest of the book of Jeremiah is, you know, Jeremiah, I want to actually stop and think about him. He is the weeping prophet, except for that verse right there and a couple others. The book of Jeremiah is not where we typically turn because it's this really sad, mopey guy. It's a really long book. It's kind of confusing, but it tells the story of this man, Jeremiah, who the Lord calls to a life of singleness by literally saying, don't take a wife. So he calls him to a life of of loneliness, of solitude. Jeremiah's family abandons him and says, we don't want to have anything to do with you. Jeremiah is this prophet who is continually given this message by God to call his people to repent He calls them, he says the religious establishment is corrupt. He says the king is not leading as he should. And Jeremiah has this awful burden to bear this message that he's been entrusted with, regardless of whether or not he likes it. He does this for his whole life. For 40 years he ministers to the people of Israel. And he doesn't get to do this in like a normal 40 years. He does this in the last 40 years of of the people of Judah. He does this through a siege of Jerusalem, through the burning of the city and the destruction of God's holy temple. He ministers to God's people. During that time, he's attacked by mobs. He's whipped. He's put in stocks. He's arrested by some princes and beaten by the king and left in prison to rot. Eventually, the whole city and civilization he knows is destroyed. And the people refuse to listen to what he and the Lord have been telling them. And he thinks, maybe then, maybe now they'll listen to me. But at the end of his life, he's actually carried off as a captive, not by the Assyrians, Babylonians, by other Jews. He's carried off by his own people, kidnapped and taken to Egypt, where he ostensibly died alone. Happy story. (laughs) I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare, not for evil. Jeremiah lives a really, really rough life. And I think he's a really kind of inspiring picture of what Paul is living out here of what Paul is warning us that he says you know when things get hard we have to be strengthened by grace nothing else we have to share in suffering for the gospel and we have to endure and sometimes that means we just got to sit and think it over those are our three points we're strengthened by grace alone we share in suffering for the gospel And it's going to take some time to actually sit and think that over. Uh, The first point, be strengthened by grace. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, verse 1. You then, my child, Timothy, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, what we're strengthened by actually matters. Uh, I love one of my favorite things about youth camp is you can always tell the kids who don't have control of their diet at home. They show up in the cafeteria for the first time maybe and just see the thing full of ice cream, skip all the rest of the line and go straight to the soft serve machine. And in like six ice cream cones later, you know, they're jittering, they're, they're high, and then an hour after that, they're like crying in a corner of the basketball court. <laughs> there's, there's a sadistic joy I take in watching that. Um, You know, what we fuel ourselves with, where we go for strength and nourishment actually matters. If we try to fuel ourselves with just sugar and fluff, we're not going to last very long. And this, this passage right here tells us that we need to be strengthened by grace, strengthened by the grace of God, embracing the message that we've heard in, that Paul's entrusted to Timothy, that Timothy is entrusting to new teachers, and those teachers are going to teach to more teachers. The same message we see here in Scripture, this foundation of God's Word. What we're strengthened by deeply matters. In verse 1, he says, So then, you know, whenever. This is the classic preacher line. If there's a therefore, what's the therefore Therefore, um, So then, what is he talking about? Uh, he says, then, like Onesiphorus. Last week we heard about this man, Onesiphorus, who was amidst trials, decided to be proud of the gospel and come to Paul and, and said, I'm going to embrace the shame of the gospel. I'm going to embrace the suffering like Jeremiah to be true to what we've been called to. Timothy is, is being exhorted to... Live like that. He says, so then, my child, do the same thing. You know, Timothy's a pastor in Ephesus, and he's going to have to leave that and embrace some of Paul's suffering. And he says, if you're going to succeed in this, Timothy, absolutely lament, but also be strengthened. Be strengthened by grace. Don't, don't, Timothy, go to yourself. Don't turn to your own power and say, I got this. Come on, suck it up, buttercup. Like, that is not what Timothy's called to do. Timothy is called to be strengthened by something far bigger and better than himself, his own will, uh, his own resolve. He's called to be strengthened by grace. Maybe we pause there and just think about that word grace, right? Uh, a friend at a previous church told me that he had the acronym Gifts Received at Christ's Expense. Uh, Grace is a gift for us. Grace is this wonderful, undeserved love of God that he bestows upon us after our having done nothing to deserve it. Grace is, is Christ taking on our sins and giving us his righteousness. Grace is saying, you deserve total punishment, and yet I give you adoption to my family. And he says, Timothy, be strengthened by this grace. Don't, don't seek you know, strength in yourself. Don't seek strength in anything else. And then verse 2, he says, if you want to do that, lean into what you've heard from me. This message that wasn't a secret at all. Uh, it, this wasn't some, you know, apostolic secret he passed down down to Timothy and Timothy didn't tell everybody. He says, no, this happened in the presence of many witnesses. This is what Paul's been spending his whole life in ministry, like Jeremiah, proclaiming. But he strengthened in this, this very public proclamation that, you know, Christ has died. Paul says over and over again, I come proclaiming a gospel of Christ and Christ crucified. That's not a secret. Uh, lean into this message, this foundation that he's gotten from Paul. Paul tells us in Galatians, you know, this message I got is not from some other person. This message is from Jesus. Paul, Paul's an apostle because he saw the risen Christ. Uh, he says in Galatians, you know, whether an angel comes in here, I'm not going to shake on the message. I'm not changing the content. You know, when we, when we dig into this idea of grace, this message we've received, our foundation does not move. Because our foundation is not ourselves. The foundation is not my message or your message or Holy Cross's message. The foundation is God's message. It is Scripture. We're going to hear that in chapter 3 repeatedly. Uh, that This message that Scripture is profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for, for correction, for training in righteousness. That Scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired. This is, this is our weird thing as Christians. We follow a book. It's 2,000 years old. (laughs) Like, why do we do that? Because it is inspired, it's true, it is an unshakable foundation. And he says, Timothy, be strengthened by this message you heard from me. And and then take this message, and he's supposed to do something with it. He's not just supposed to hide it, you know, or internalize it, but he's actually supposed to take this message and, and trust it to other faithful men who are going to tell it to more people. Timothy's job is to not just hear, but to train. And not just train people who will hear, but to train people who will train more people. This is, you know, you maybe heard this before, disciples who make disciples. Uh, that's, that's what Timothy is called to do. That's what Paul has done to Timothy, and Timothy's doing to his new leaders, and those people are supposed to do, and it carries all the way on down to us, right? You're here, presumably, because somebody at some point told you about Jesus and who he was and this message and this gospel, and so uh, Timothy is supposed to, to, to pass this message on. I think this is really encouraging for us, right? Hopefully this is a comfort, not just a challenge. That in trials we can lean into grace, not ourselves. When, when hard times come, I would be tempted to say, like, well, am I enough? Or maybe I will be tempted to say, absolutely, I'm enough, I got this. Timothy is called to do neither of those things. He says, be strengthened not by your own resolve and not by your own gifts. Be strengthened by grace and nothing else. we got to lean into grace and not ourselves. How do we do that? We look backwards. We look inwards. We look outwards. We look backwards at what God has done in our lives. We look backwards to see how he's been faithful to us, how his steadfast love has prevailed. We look inwards to see his Holy Spirit working in our hearts, sanctifying us. You know, the biggest examples of that are are things where you're doing and saying stuff that is not in accord with your character. It's better than your character. Uh, that's, That's a wonderful assurance as we see God working in us. And we look outwards. We see God working in community. We see God working in the people around us. That's something we can't do on our own. That's part of why we think life groups are so special, that we are strengthened by grace when we see that lived out with other people in different ages and stages. And we get to see that week after week after week, year after year as we develop community and we live in that. And we, we can't be the source of that strength. He says, be strengthened by grace. You know, his foundation matters. I'm reminded of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor build it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. It's this wonderful little nugget of of wisdom in the Psalms, you know. I grew up with the, the song about the wise man built his house upon the... But either way, unless the Lord builds the house, unless our foundation is in grace, it's completely pointless. You know, I've been struggling with that. Like, what are we doing here at Holy Cross? It seems like everything and everybody is wrong and messed up. (laughs) And uh, myself especially. And, you know, unless we are leaning into grace and the message of the gospel, it is totally in vain. But if, if our labor is to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified, if we're strengthened not in how good our graphics look or how many people are here or any of those things, but instead by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, then our labor is not, cannot, will not ever be in vain. And then he tells him in these same verses, you know, you're going to be tempted, Timothy's going to be sorely tempted, so are we, to change the message, to change this thing that's been entrusted to him and he's going to entrust to others. There's going to be this really strong temptation to actually change what we mean when we say grace, to change what we mean when we talk about the gospel. You know Hebrews 13, 8 reminds us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. This message that Paul has entrusted to Timothy does not change. This message is, is always the same, that the core message never changes. Now, how it's presented is always different, right? Even Paul, he tries to be socially relevant and accessible when he presents the gospel, No better example of this than Paul at the Areopagus at Mars Hill. He goes into the center of Athens. This is like downtown New York City or San Francisco. It's a cultural center of his day. He goes there and he finds the people who are the culture makers, the shakers, the ones who determine what is in and out. And he says, hey, you guys spend a lot of time debating who God is. I I notice that you're so into God that you even have this statue for an unknown God. Well, I'm here to tell you about him. And he uses their language, their, their phrasing, their space uh, to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified. You know, when we proclaim the gospel, we always have to try to be relevant. We try to be um, in our cultural terms. We want to be sensitive to the, the challenges people have today. And yet, the basic message of Christ and Christ crucified, we will always proclaim. The, the temptation to change that is one we can never give into. And the basic offense. Of a crucified Messiah, of a murdered man, will always be uh, folly and a stumbling block to the world. But but it is absolutely unchangeable. So be strengthened by grace. Don't change the message, but always be changing the messengers. This is also in these first two verses. He says, "You know, Timothy, I've trained you. You're now proclaiming something." And Paul and Timothy have separate ministries. Timothy, now you train some elders. You train some guys. You train some men and women to continue to strengthen the church at Ephesus because Timothy's going to have to leave. At the end of the book, he's going to come and visit Paul in Rome. So train them up because you're going to be gone. And then make sure that in the pastoral epistles, he spends so, t- so much time, especially in 1 Timothy and Titus, talking about like elder and deacon training and leaders and, and what it means to, to be um, leaders in the church. And almost always... He doesn't care about competencies. He cares about character. Almost always in the pastoral epistle, the the focus is on not like, can you format a Word document and like how good of a speaker are you and are you entertaining? It's the character that matters. And this is the same thing here. He says, you know, entrust this to faithful people. And, And then the only competency, the only thing that they're called to do is just pass it on. Pass it on to more people. This is, this is our calling, to be trained with this gospel message, to not change it, but also to continue to pass it on and continue to train others. You know, one of my favorite metrics, things to think about for what is success in a church, what is success in ministry? There's a lot of bad things we could measure there, right? Um, but one of the best ones is how well are, are we doing a good job of training new leaders, not even just bringing in new Christians, but are we doing a good job of training new leaders themselves? Are we discipling people who will make more disciples? And, and that is a much better metric than the amount of people in the room or dollars in the bank account or, or even new converts. Because we want to be training people who are mature, who are, you know, like Ephesians says, ready to be not tossed around by the storms of doctrine and hard times, but can stand steadfast to find uh, their foundations in Christ, and so this is what Timothy is called to do here. He also goes on. Next point, he tells them share in suffering. Share in suffering. Verse three. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. I'm a little hesitant to use military metaphor because for some reason every men's ministry ever only uses military metaphor. It's either grilling meat or metaphors of about being a soldier. But it's here in the it's here in the text. It's good. He says, you know. Just picture with me, I don't know, Gomer Pyle, if you watched that, but like picture someone showing up at boot camp saying like, well, officer, sergeant, I really appreciate what what you're saying, but like that's actually not, I don't, I can't do it up and do the push-ups right now because I need to sleep a little more and that would be better for me in this moment, you know, or saying like on the battlefield, I really respect where you're coming from, officer, but you know, like this whole dying thing, like that's not really good for me right now. That's not what I need. I need a little something else. Now, Paul says a soldier is a wonderful picture for what it means to suffer as inherent to their task at hand. Like, if you are a soldier and you don't expect that you might have to die, you don't expect that it's going to be hard, then you don't need to be a soldier. It's very simple. When we dig into mil- into any metaphor in scripture, we need to be really careful not to take it past where scripture tells us, you know, this one in particular, he tells us what it means. So let's make sure that's the meaning we ascribe to it. But he says, you know, you are like soldiers for Jesus. Again, we could go way too far with that. But you are like soldiers for Jesus in that the task you've been ha- called to is inherently difficult. What you've been asked to do will mean suffering. And we, we can't, we can complain, Absolutely. Psalms are full of that. We can cry, absolutely. It's going to take us time to get there, absolutely. But what we've been called to do as Christians will be painful. It's all right to to feel sad about that. It's all right to be upset even with God about that. Scripture has a lot of language for that. And yet we also need to know this is just part of the task at hand. Share in suffering as soldiers for the Lord. This, this word, share in suffering, is actually one word in Greek. That was really interesting. He says, take part in evil together. That's an overly wooden Greer translation. Uh, take part in evil together, and it's an imperative. It means feel it, do it, take part in this. This is the, the main command. All the other illustrations, he's going to give us three metaphors that all explain what it means to take part together in suffering. And an important distinction here. Paul's talking about suffering for the gospel. Suffering like Jeremiah did. Suffering like Paul and Timothy are doing. You know, we have a lot of suffering in our lives that's not for the gospel. You know, like sometimes, you know, kids, your parents are going to ask you to do something you don't want to do. That's not suffering for the gospel. That's just them parenting. (laughs) Um, Maybe this is helpful in that scenario. It might be. But he's talking here about suffering for the gospel. So that's an important distinction. There's a lot of suffering that is just bad and evil. Um, It's not suffering for the gospel. It's just hard. This still might be helpful. I don't know. But uh, when we are suffering for the gospel, he says, you know, this is part of the role. He says a soldier avoids other entanglements outside of being a soldier because they have a, a task at hand. You know, he says, you're trying to make the person who enlisted you happy, proud. They're trying to complete their mission. Our mission here is very simple, right? Glorify God and join forever. Our mission here is to proclaim Christ and Him crucified, to entrust this message to more people, to be strengthened by grace. And we're doing this not for ourselves. We're not doing this because we want to be happy and we want to be fulfilled, and it's what's best for me right now. We're doing this because we've been entrusted with this message by Jesus. And He says don't, don't get tied up in stuff that's, that's off-topic. Don't, don't, you know, dig into things that are outside of your mission. If, to the extent that you're a soldier for Jesus, you've been given a task. Pursue that task. Don't forget your mission. And then in verse 5, he goes on to talk about the same, same message, fear and suffering. But he gives us another picture of that. He says, you know, well, okay, maybe that's not sticking. Think about an athlete, right? Athletes work hard. At least the good ones do athletes always working hard. There's there's not a picture of an athlete, maybe an esports person. There's not normally a picture of an athlete that's not working hard. Thank you for laughing, Andrew. Uh there athletes work hard. He says this is suffering is part of being a good athlete and we're called to do this actually in a way where we don't cheat. He says Paul has a different picture of athletes than us, but he says, you know, they're going to continue to work hard in what is it verse verse uh, 5. They're going to work and so they're not crowned unless they compete according to the rules. And their day they have Olympics and only they don't have participation trophies. Only one person gets this wreath at the end who wins. And there's gonna be this temptation for them to make it less hard by cheating. Right? Insert your favorite failed sports superstar here. Like Lance Armstrong, right? The best! American cyclist, until we found out he was cheating at everything. Uh, he didn't want to work as hard as he, he didn't want to do better than he actually was, and so he cheated. This is, this is our temptation here, we're, we're going to suffer, and yet we're going to be tempted to sort of find an easy way out, and that, that's what we've got to resist. And then he said, well, if you don't like the sports metaphor, let's try another one. Verse 6, verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have first share of the crops. He again goes to a farmer. A farmer is like the classic archetypal picture of someone who works hard, right? They're up before the sun rises and they're in bed after it goes, to, after the sun goes down. they are constantly working hard, and he says, you know, like this is what we're called to. Again, we can't imagine a farmer saying, like, well, I want to farm. Maybe we. The millennial farmer says, I want to be back to the earth. I want to go organic. I don't want to get my fingers dirty, though. <laughs> Paul says, no, a farmer, or true farmer has to work hard. A true farmer has to toil. This is what we've been called to do, to share in suffering. Our, our mission as Christians is going to involve some hard times. But there's a, a reward here. This picture of a farmer getting really, really good produce. They get it first. Uh, they get the first fruits. They get really, really good meat because they are the first ones to eat it. Uh, there's a, what does that mean for us? I think what he's getting at there is that when we labor spiritually, there are spiritual rewards. When we work, when we suffer uh, for the gospel, it's hard, but there's also a spiritual benefit that, that we get to grow as Christians when we go through hard times. It's not just that we survive, but the Lord actually blesses us with spiritual growth. Um, You know, we spend a lot of time in our lives when things are going well, trying to figure out how to grow spiritually. And yet it's almost always, if you look back at when did you actually grow spiritually in your life, the really hard seasons where the Lord was doing real work on your heart. The the farmer works hard, but they also get the first fruits. When we embrace suffering for the gospel, we're also going to be blessed with some some spiritual growth there. So he tells us we're going to have to work hard for the gospel, and yet we're doing this to please the Lord rather than just seeking our own happiness. Suffering for the gospel, it might still be, but it shouldn't be a surprise. There should be something we actually expect. And Important to note, it's okay if it's still a surprise when things are hard. It's absolutely okay if when trials come, you're still sitting there saying, oh my goodness, what is happening to me? That's a normal and right response. And yet, he says, you know, this is a a word of comfort from Paul to Timothy. He says, I know that's hard. I know it's confusing. You're not doing anything wrong. When things go wrong, that's not because you're doing something wrong, necessarily, Timothy. It's because this is what we should expect as Christians. Of course we're going to suffer. You know, you want to live like Jesus? What did Jesus do? He had a really hard life. He had a really hard life. We're, we're not here to be happy, but to serve the Lord, which is going to be for our goodness and our happiness anyways. You know, this is, this is uh, not our chief goal, is to make ourselves happy. Our chief goal, our chief end, what we've been created for, is to glorify and enjoy God, you know. It's maybe that's just part of being modern, that we think like the highest thing we could achieve is happiness for me right now. Um, I love the the Heidelberg Catechism. It's got this wonderful opening question. It's written in a time of plagues. It's written in a time of massive geopolitical strife on a, a level we probably can't even understand, where every little nation state is against every other one. Total war, and it says to this it says Christian in the midst of all this chaos what's your only comfort in life and in death that i'm not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior Jesus Christ you know the main thing we can take comfort in is that i'm not out here to make myself happy uh, it's not about me like i'm not the center of this story this this book is not about primarily it is about how i should live it is not primarily about me and how i should live This is a story about God and his grace for those whom he's chosen. This is a story about God's goodness extended to humanity who rebelled against him. This is a story about God, not me. You know, that question, it says, you know, Jesus has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's our comfort in life and in death. We're not our own. Not a hair can fall from your head. Yet that doesn't make it any easier you know. when, when things are hard. I uh, put out in the lobby those little books by Tim Keller that are also in our welcome bags, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. Um, it's a really good little book. It's about pride and humility and the gospel. But just that title alone tells us something really important. That there is a freedom that we have when we're not primarily concerned about ourselves. There's a freedom in self-forgetfulness. That in our suffering we can know this is actually part of what we've been called to. I'm not my own, but I'm serving like a soldier. I'm serving someone and something greater than myself. There's a, there's a wonderful freedom that comes from that when things get really hard that frees me, at least, from just only saying, like, God, why are you doing this to me? And instead helps us see our trials in the midst of this thing we've been called to in this gospel that we serve. We can be strengthened not by my own attempt to strengthen myself, but by grace. But sometimes that's hard to accept. Verse 7, final point. We're going to have to think it over. We're going to have to think it over. Verse 7. I love this verse because he says, hear that. And now Paul says, I know you probably aren't going to get it. And I know maybe that was like a little hard. Like Timothy is, is feeling a little tender here. And Paul says, it's all right, dude. Think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding and everything. Think it over. Uh, sometimes it takes a long time to process what you know to be true. We can know something is true, and yet it's going to take us real time, like not just five minutes, but like years, to process things. Um, there's this Qumran community, this biblical community the, the Dead Sea Scrolls came out of. If you're familiar with those, they were these uh, really hardcore rabbis who sit around around the same time Jesus was alive and read the Old Testament repeatedly. One of the more fascinating things about that community to me is you know the Old Testament... in in Hebrew, is separated into three big sections. The Torah, the law, the prophets, and the writings, which is like Psalms and and some of those things. The law, the prophets, and the writings. And if you joined this Dead Sea Scroll community, then for the first ten years, the first ten years of being a scribe there, you would stand, they all stood, you would stand and study God's word and you would only study the Torah. You would only study the first five books of the Bible. They'd spend a decade. These aren't children either. These are grown men who say, I want to go join this kind of monastic community around the Dead Sea. We're watching, you know, salt pile up on the seashore, standing and reading just five books of the Bible for a decade. And then after a decade of doing that, they would move on to the prophets. And then after a decade of that, they can move on to the writings. It's like this really, I don't know if that's right or wrong, that's certainly not how we teach it, but um, really hardcore picture of saying it takes time to go from a head knowledge to a heart understanding. That's what Paul's getting at here. Paul grew up, he would have been able to visit that community. Paul grew up a Pharisee of Pharisees. He has probably the whole Torah memorized. And, and so Paul says, you know, hear that and then think it over. Think over what I say to you, for the Lord's going to give you understanding in everything. You know, sometimes we need a long time to go from understanding that suffering is part of the Christian life to actually under, to, to a heart knowledge of that. It takes time. There's a big difference in saying, I know it's going to be hard, and accepting that it will be hard. He says, we're going to have time, to, you're going to need time to think that over. He also says, there's only going to happen when the Lord gives you understanding. You know, this to me is a clear reference to the Holy Spirit. This is the main way I think we see the Holy Spirit working today. Lots of ways the Holy Spirit's working, but this is the one that I'm excited about on a daily basis. Where what we call this is the illumination of the Holy Spirit. That God's Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is dwelling in you now. And when we read God's Word, it's not just by our ability to parse out English vocab and diagram sentences. It's by God's Holy Spirit that this is able to go from head to heart. By God's Holy Spirit that this makes sense. That's, if, if we don't believe in that, then there's not a whole lot of sense to this book. But if we do believe that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives understanding, then we can really trust that if two believers get together and we really dig into this and we really ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate it, we'll get to some sort of agreed-upon understanding. This is a really important idea as we dig into this foundation of Scripture, that it's not just our ability to understand it, it's God helping us to understand it that that makes it accessible, that makes it understandable, that makes it relevant and and applicable to our lives and our hearts today. It's also really interesting because Paul sees what he's saying here as... A word of God, Paul. Again, like this verse—it's inherent to this idea that God. See, Paul sees what he's saying as scripture. This is really important, as people say, "Like, well, I get what Jesus said. I just want to read the red letters, though." <laughs> this Paul is telling us: No, this too is part of the red letters. This too is something from God. The Lord's going to give you understanding in what I've told you here. Uh, that's that's really important. Psalm one gives us a wonderful picture of this. Maybe you're familiar. It says, "Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers." But his delight, this person's delight, is in the law of the Lord, in God's word, and on his law he meditates day and night. That word "meditates" is the same word it uses for a cow chewing its cud. sits there and meditates, chews. Savers, Cows have like a trillion stomachs or something. They vomit it back up and chew it again. And he says, you know, this is what we're called to do with God's word. Meditate on it day and night. And then verse 3, man, this, this of Psalm 1, this picture hopefully hits us here in Tucson in particular. He's like a tree, a tree in a wash, maybe a cottonwood, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither, and all that he does, he prospers. He says if we feed upon God's word, if we meditate on it, if we give it time to think it over, we're going to be like those few and rare trees here that have leaves that turn colors, that bear fruit, that survive droughts, that when when drought comes, we can survive like a tree by a stream that does not run out of water. God's word is that water for us. We're going to have to have time to think it over. We're going to have to wait on his Holy Spirit to illuminate it. So what does that mean for us? We're going to need to build time into our lives for that to happen. If we want to think it over, we have to actually stop and think it over. Uh, if, we, if it's a hard message that suffering is part of the Christian life, we're going to have to actually take a little bit of time out of the rest of our lives and actually think it over. Now, This is part of why the Sabbath Sunday is so helpful. Like, we get a break, a holiday in time every week to hopefully sp- spend a little time and do, you know, s- s- process. Maybe go for a walk, listen to the Word. Go, go, if you're an extrovert, spend some time alone. If you're an introvert, spend some time with other people. Uh, but spend some time thinking it over, talking it over. God's Word um, necessitates study. And He promises that if we do that, the Lord's going to give you understanding and everything. You know, that's, there's a comfort there too. The Bible can be really confusing, really hard to read, but there's a promise here that the Lord's going to give you understanding. Uh, we just have to, to, to bring it to Him. So what is He telling us here in these couple of verses? He says, Be strengthened by grace. You know, we're only ever strengthened by God. Be strengthened by grace, not by yourself. That as we lean into grace, we've got to pass on the same message, but be strengthened by grace and grace alone. He says, share in your suffering. Share in each other's suffering. Embrace your suffering. It's like a soldier. It's what you've been called to do. And then he says, that's going to be hard for you to hear, Timothy. That's going to be hard for you to hear, Holy Cross. But take some time. Think it over. Bring it to the Lord. And like the Lord will make this connection from head to heart. The Lord's the one who can do that. That's going to inform the whole way we see trials. That's going to I think, at least to me, it's a little more comforting than just offering us a tissue. He says, you know, this is part of what we can expect as Christians. As you think about Jeremiah, this prophet who lived so, so, so long ago, you know, this man had a whole lifetime to proclaim a really, really hard message. He had a lot of time, 40 years, to think over what God was saying through him. And he gave the people of Israel time and time and time again to think it over. And they didn't. It's like the great tragedy of his life is that, again, like Paul, from an external standpoint, Jeremiah's ministry was a failure. He was sent to call God's people to repentance, and they didn't repent. Jeremiah is this weeping, crying prophet, because as he embraces the suffering God has has put on him, as he's strengthened by the Lord's grace, he still you know, the people don't listen. And yet that's not his measure of success. I want to close with these words from Jeremiah 31. It's this promise, promise from, from Jeremiah to God's people then and God's people today that we, we don't just get left in suffering either. That as we take time to process and take time to think it over, we don't just, we don't just sit in the hard times. We also look forward to something else. Jeremiah 31 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That covenant that they broke, even though I was their husband, declares the Lord. No, this is the covenant that I'm going to make with the house of Israel after those days. This is the covenant he's made with us now, with you. I will put my law within them. I'm going to write it on their hearts. Think it over. The Lord will give you understanding. I'm going to put my law within them, and I'm going to write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they're all going to know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. Here's the best part for I'm going to forgive their sin. Forgive their iniquity, sorry, and I will remember their sin no more. I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the grace that we're strengthened in. The Lord says, your iniquity, your crookedness, I'm going to forgive that. I'm going to forgive it so thoroughly that my son, I'm not just going to say we don't have to think about it. I'm not even going to remember it because his son is going to take on the, the punishment, the payment for our sin and our crookedness. This is this gospel that we rejoice in. This is the hope we look forward to in Christ, that as Jeremiah in a really hard time look forward to this, we too look forward to Jesus's full uh, and coming second return. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.